Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie G in the house. Welcome, welcome. This is season six. Oh my goodness of this exciting series. And we got a hot topic for you today. I don't usually name the title of the episode up front, but I want you all to know this is going to be worth your while to stay tuned. Manufacturing and Industry 4.0, looking towards a sustainable future. I think that's one of the top words of 2021, other than, wow, we're almost done with you know what. So let me give you a couple of buzz quotes. I have the United Nations website definition of sustainable manufacturing. Listen up. Sustainable manufacturing as a form of manufacturing development that meets, listen up, the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. That's one definition. Then the U.S. Department of Commerce has a different definition. They define sustainable manufacturing as, quote, the creation of manufactured products that use processes that minimize negative environmental impacts, conserve energy and natural resources, and are safe for employees, communities, and consumers, and are economically sound. That is a huge definition. I got that from a website called marlinwire.com in a blog. I have another opening buzz quote for you. Listen up. This is from... uh, This is from Accenture. Oh my, we have somebody from Accenture here on the show. Shock and amazement that I found this really cool quote. Companies are realizing value from integrating sustainability into their operations and products. Between 2013 and 2020, companies with consistently high ratings for environmental, social, and governance, that's ESG, you all know that, performance, have outperformed their peers, achieving operating margins 3.7 times higher than the lower ESG performers and generating 2.6 times higher annual total returns to shareholders. That's a wow. And I have one quick example for you that I didn't know. In 2009, do the math, how many years was that was 12 years ago? Nestle's Nespresso, I have a Nespresso coffee maker, committed to reducing the carbon footprint of a cup of coffee. Cyan, have you ever heard of that? The carbon footprint of a cup of coffee by 28% by 2020, which was last year. They have since increased the energy efficiency of their coffee machines and have begun powering business operations with renewable energy. There's an example of in practice, it's something that people use every day. So what are we talking about today? Sustainability is becoming an important consideration for consumers, employees, companies, People who go to work for big companies today and small ones want to know, what are you doing to help preserve our planet for future generations and for us who are here today living on it? And this has significant implications for industrial manufacturing companies next year, 2022 and far beyond, and how they move toward, what's the goal? More sustainable products, processes, and outcomes. Will the move toward, and I I never know how to pronounce this word, servitization or servitization, and I'm going to let my panelists help me with that, enable the circular economy and its challenges, question mark, are further digitalization and industry 4.0 and even industry 5.0 needed? Are we ready for 5.0? What are the biggest roadblocks to becoming sustainable in the, I'm going to say, hopefully, 
post-COVID world. We don't even know if we will ever get there. I have three experts with me. I'm going to ask them to wave when I say hello because I have the privilege of being on Zoom and I'm looking at them on video. We're recording the video. Thomas Wren at Accenture. Hello, Thomas. Welcome. You have the most fabulous Accenture logo behind you with your picture in it. I, I'm new to that and it's just just beautiful. Anybody seeing the video will appreciate that. Very, very nicely done. We have Cyan Bose. Hello, Cyan from SAP hey, who boss. is sitting in a gorgeous fall background he's changed it three times before we started the show and we're now in the reds and golds of some beautiful new england landscape we'll find out where he really is and lloyd o'donnell at sap is here with us hello lloyd and lloyd has a green sustainability shirt on he will describe it later for those of you listening to us on the radio i'm going to ask them to share their insights and make bold predictions for the coming year and beyond and our topic again is manufacturing and industry 4.0 looking towards a sustainable future. Bonnie D in the house, happy to be here. You can tell I have three wonderful people who are smart, they're savvy, and they can't wait to share their insights. So let's go around the table. Thomas Wren, we're so happy to have you. Know you're a busy guy and I know you have to scoot right after the show, so let's get to it. Please introduce yourself to our global audience briefly, Thomas. What do you do? How did you get to this point in your career? And what's your passion for our topic? All in three minutes. Wow. Thomas, welcome. Well, it's a pleasure being here, Bonnie. Thanks so much for inviting me over. So what I'm doing, I'm Thomas. I'm leading uh, the work at all the industrial clients we do at Accenture. Accenture is a company that you might all know at this point. So it's a, it's a big company and, all, of course, dealing a lot with digitization of, of manufacturing and digitization, digitization of services and so on. Um, how did I come to Accenture? I was one of the yeah, early adopters to Industry 4.0 in Germany, so I'm German, living close to Stuttgart, and I love um, digitization, manufacturing, and the industry. And what I really like on top at the moment is the sustainability movement that we see with many companies. And uh, it's just amazing how companies are reacting to this and how they see the potential and how they are really moving forward, uh, bringing it to a, a new level at this point. Glad to be here and, of course, looking forward to the discussion. Thank you, Thomas. And just let me bounce something off of you, what you just said before we get to Cyan's bio. You said companies are excited. Are, are companies happy, excited about it? Are they saying, oh, we have to do something else? Seriously, we're just trying to stay afloat. It's been a brutal two years. Look at the ships in the harbors. Look at supply chain. We can't get this. We can't get that. And now you tell us we have to be sustainable. Is there an angst? Is, we're doing a reality check. Is there an angst or is this, this yes, we're going to be part of this really important movement? What's Quickly, what's your, what do you see or what do you hear, Thomas? I, I think especially looking back to, to Glasgow, what we have seen in the last couple of weeks, companies are really excited because they see they can do something by themselves. They can do something with the suppliers and can do something with their products. Um, so they have three angles to tackle. Um, and they love this really because they see impact they can generate on different levels. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. We wanted the optimism. Cyan is nodding. That means you're next, Cyan Bose. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Please introduce yourself. Go ahead. So, well, you've already said my name. So, Cyan Bose. Uh, I'm based out of the windy city of Chicago, though I selected a picture from New England for purpose because it's dark and gloomy right now in Chicago. So, uh, no, uh, I work for SAP's Industrial Manufacturing Business Unit, where we are responsible to look at what's happening in the industry and ensure that SAP has the right set of solutions and portfolio to help manufacturing companies across the globe achieve their objectives and in this case sustainability and of course 
other topics to grow the business and come out of where we were in the last two years, right? So that's my role. And honestly, why I'm so passionate about this topic, uh, that's your question, Bonnie. So if I look at industrial manufacturers, I call it without the machines and without the equipment, a lot of other industries are not going to operate. And we, that's where the world of industrial manufacturing starts with. And that's where industrial manufacturers have a crucial role to play in terms of how other companies will achieve their sustainability priorities. I like that. I like that's- that. Wow. And that, that brings to mind the thoughts of ecosystem, right, yeah. Diane? And yeah. community and Correct. responsibility and co-innovation and communication. Very, very good. Thank you very much, Lloyd O'Donnell. We're looking forward to having you tell us who you are, what you do, and what's your passion. Lloyd, welcome. Hi, Bonnie. Um, I've been a business transformation consultant for the better part of 20 years with SAP for four. Um, And recently, I've been an internal catalyst inside the building trying to help internally at SAP and with our customers understand the natural marriage between servitization and sustainability. Why is that? It's because obviously in my experience of business transformation, business executives primarily are focused on profit and how they can have, you know, positive cash flows and and maintain the future of their business as an ongoing concern. And we've seen, I I feel like we've seen resistance to, to transformation to, for example, sustainability because of the perceived need to add to cost and therefore need to add to product price, for example, which which creates concern around market share. So what we're trying to do is is make sure internally we're developing the, as Cyan said, the solutions that will support a circular economy. And part of that is also understanding the profit or the business models that can help support the circular economy. Because if you're doing product selling as a business model, obviously it's very hard to be sustainable because you need to continually sell more products in order to be profitable. Very well put. Thank you very much. Yes, a circular economy has been floating around as a concept for many years, I know. But I think with this movement of, and you're all nodding, I must have said something right. But with this movement towards sustainability, I think if you marry the two concepts, sustainability is something that is so globally aware and popular right now. And you bring it in together with circular economy, it begins to make sense and have some real applications. So thank you all for the introductions. Now is the part of the show where we have some fun with thought leaders. I've asked each of my guests to send me a quote from a fictional character in a movie or TV show or a song lyric. And we've got a mix of both of those categories today. And they're going to explain in their own words what in the world the quote has to do with our topic. Thomas is smiling as he picked a really interesting one. This is from Uncle Ben. Everybody's saying, "Uncle, who's Uncle Ben? Benjamin Franklin Parker, a.k.a. Uncle Ben. Come on. In Spider-Man, he was portrayed by Cliff Robertson in the Spider-Man trilogy. And he was portrayed by Martin Sheen later on in the 2012 film, The Amazing Spider-Man. And Uncle Ben is a fictional character appearing in the comic books published by Marvel, usually in association with the superhero Spider-Man. I'm just going to read the quote. You all know it, and we love it. And it became Spider-Man's life motto. With great power comes great responsibility. I have no idea what Uncle Ben sounded like, Thomas. So if you want to redo that and give us what he sounded like, that's fine. Thomas, how did you find this quote? Yeah, you know, the quote, with great power comes great responsibility, was quite, was quite easy to find because when we talk about sustainability, we always talk also about responsibility. And if I look at us as a company, as, as a, being a leading transformation partner for digitization, it's quite clear, looking at all those companies we can help 
other companies transform and really taking up the responsibility for sustainability at this point. That means we have the power to really make companies move if they want to be moved, but also showing that there is a need to move and to really gain benefits out of moving into the sustainability direction. And this is absolutely marvelous and a fantastic experience for me because if you convince somebody out there and really make somebody change, you can feel that you bring the responsibility to the table and make something happen. And we hear a lot of discussions here in a podcast. We hear a lot of discussions about sustainability at this point, but at the end, it's about doing something, making it real and transforming. And that's what we are up to at the moment. Thank you very much. That concept of shared responsibility and impacting, Thomas, it was so well put. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Let's go to Cyan Bose's quote, and I'm going to read the scene. It is from Mission Impossible Fallout, 2018 American action spy film. It's the sixth installment in the Mission Impossible film series, and the plot is Ethan Hunt and his team must track down missing plutonium <laughs> while being monitored by the apostles after a mission goes wrong. Cyan likes my reading here. So here's the scene. Ethan Hunt, played by Tom Cruise, says, now we have to hope they never met. And August Walker, played by actor Henry Cavill, or Cavill, says, here's the quote, hope is not a strategy. And then Ilsa Faust, played by Rebecca Ferguson, says, oh, you must be new. So the quote is, hope is not a strategy. Cyan, what does this have to do with our topic? I think I know, but you're up. Go ahead. I know. No, so I'm a fan of Mission Impossible. I mean, all the, all the movies. So no, the idea is, is now it's the time for, I believe, most of the industrial manufacturing companies to not just have a plan and not just lead with a purpose, but also to act upon it. Because if we do not act now with a clear game plan, then we will be behind. And we want to leave a planet. And I've got a 12-month-old daughter. She's going to be turning actually 12 months next week. I want to leave a planet for her where she can have a wonderful life that we enjoyed all this while. So that's why hope is not the strategy. Industrial manufacturing companies at the bottom need to think and start acting on it. So that's why Thank you. Well, I'm going to say your daughter is very lucky to have a dad who's thinking at that big scale. I had a guest on another show yesterday who said she does a lot of walking and hiking. And when she walks trails near her home, she thinks about, I want to make this a more sustainable planet for herself, for her children, for the world. And she's aware, she said, when she walks these trails of the preservation of, of natural wonders and the planet as it was supposed to be, as it is supposed to be. So thank you very much for that. And let's go to Lloyd O'Donnell. Lloyd, your quote is from, oh, da 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 Anybody doesn't remember that's probably been hiding under a rock or they don't know what I'm singing because I don't have a good voice. It's from Imagine, the song by, of course, English rock musician John Lennon, former Beatle from his 1971 Imagine album, the best-selling single of his solar career. Lyrics encourage us to imagine a world of peace without materialism, without borders, separating nations. And here was the controversial part without religion. And we're going to get past that one. More than 200 artists, Lloyd, I assume you know this, and I don't, I don't know if you can recite all 200, but I'll give you a sample. More than 200 artists have performed or covered the song, including Madonna, Stevie Wonder, Joan Baez, Lady Gaga, Elton John, and Diana Ross. So here is the line. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. Lloyd, this just kind of puts us into a, a beautiful mood, doesn't it? Lloyd, <laughs> tell us how this relates to our topic. Go ahead. 
firstly, I'd love to give some support to Thomas's uh, quote and say, you know, SAP is the biggest provider to global industrial manufacturers. It's our responsibility, obviously, to enable those customers to be able to do these things. And, and as Cyan said, the, the time to act is now because in the next 20 years, we're expected to almost, or certainly the next 30 years, we're expected to almost double the amount of materials we consume globally, um, which we can't do. So why is the no possessions important? Well, again, back to that circular economy idea, if we have a servitization model where materials ownership is retained by the best experts inside the value chain, those materials experts are the best place to optimize the productive use of those materials and then of course optimize the refurbishment remanufacture and recycling of those materials because they are the experts in it we can get into some practical examples later but the basic idea is um, not only are consumers showing they're happy not to own things and just rent it when they need performance whether that's via subscription or single rent but also um, from a sustainability perspective retaining ownership at the right point of the value chain and removing the concept of consumers needing to own products uh, helps completely transform the way we view our business models and the way we view certainly materials circular management. Thank you very much. Very interesting. And yes, we're all part of this, aren't we, Lloyd? Every one of us is part of this, how we live every day, how we buy, how we consume, how we make, how we create, how we share, how we dispose or not. Right. I'm thinking of the number of things I took with me when I moved from New York here to North Carolina, things I took from my mother who had just passed away that year that I, I recycled her belongings into decor for my house. I didn't throw them away. I didn't sell them. I wanted the continuity, but that in a way it's it's circular. I am appreciating what she invested in. I'll tell you all later what that was. It's some pretty cool stuff. Anyway, thank you very much all. I so appreciate you all taking the time. Some of my guests tell me that the hardest part of preparing for these shows is finding a quote. Do you think that's all true? Did you have a trouble finding Because you all picked one. Cyan did. I've never asked anybody to admit that. Cyan, I used to have guests. Sometimes I have guests who were on two or three shows a year, and they say, I'm running out of quotes for Bonnie, but but I send them samples, so it's fine. So let's move on. This is the part of the show now where we're doing a deep dive into our topic. If you're just joining us, this is, of course, the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers Season 6. Shout out to Judy Cubis at SAP for sponsoring this wonderful series. It used to be called The Future of Cars, but we expanded it this year or two years ago. And the topic today is manufacturing and industry 4.0. Maybe we'll talk about 5.0, looking towards a sustainable future. So I'm going to read the first statement from Thomas Wren. It's long, but I, I think I'm just going to read it. The beginning of it, let him expand it. Then Thomas is going to take about three minutes, unpack it for us. And then we're going to invite Cyan to come in and agree or disagree. Cyan, Thomas said it's okay to disagree as long as you're nice about it. And then Lloyd, you get to agree or disagree with Thomas and or with Cyan. So that's going to be maybe a challenge. Let's see what you come up with. Thomas told me the following statement. Number one, end consumers, employees, and governments increasingly expect companies to be purposeful about sustainability. The industrial customer base even aligns their investment and buying behavior closely along sustainability objectives. Thus, industrial equipment companies have to balance three roles here. I'm not going to tell the three roles. Thomas, I'm going to let you expand this for us. Go ahead, please. Yeah, I'm immediately taking the three roles up, and thanks for reading this this comment. The roles are, of course, you need to have as a company a sustainable footprint. 
you also need to be aware on the product and services and the portfolio and combining as as Lloyd said already uh, the products and the services to one I would call it product bundle at the end and of course looking at your value chain looking at the suppliers you also have to improve and this is something you need to do that means every company is forced to really work on all the three dimensions to really convince end customers that are really looking at all three dimensions at the moment in a different way. Let me give you a couple of examples. There are companies out there like, um, I, I would take one of the market leaders, Man and Hummel, uh, market leaders in filters. They, they have a product, of course, that is cleaning air, water, and things like this. So companies are looking at this company um, um, out of the of the product space and of the services space, but they are also looking at this company as it's a front runner in sustainability uh, at the footprint and what they do by themselves and how they treat their suppliers at this point. So this all has an impact. It's the same with Siemens or other players that really do this very well at at this point. So at the end, we are all looking at the full portfolio. And if you think about what is the the best. What has the best impact on sustainability? It's more or less machinery or factories that have that run on the highest efficiency, that have a hundred percent utilization, that have no downtime. They always they all use full technology. They are continuously improving. And if you would all run all machinery, all factories at a hundred percent at this level, that the, those factories would be the most sustainable companies at this point. But of course, we can't. Uh, this is not happening at the moment. That means customers at the end are differentiating, governments are differentiating, and finding their best partner looking at who is the most purposeful about sustainability. And that's what they do. So there's a big pressure out there on those companies in the industrial space, and they are really looking forward to, to fight for the trust gained by, by their customers, governments, and of course, by the employees at the moment. Thank you very much. Very interesting. A lot to talk about. Sayan, are you ready? Are you ready to jump in? Agree or disagree? I'm I ready for you. Actually, I actually agree with you, Thomas. But then I would like to add two more comments to it. So one, of course, the topic of creating a new portfolio. But to me, from industrial manufacturing, I'm seeing companies. It's to first look at more innovative products which help create sustainability. For example, completely redesigning your product portfolio. For example, I'm seeing large generator manufacturers who are working on fossil fuels moving to hydrogen fuel-based generators, right? So it's all about a sustainable product innovation portfolio. So that's my addition, something I would say. But I completely agree with you on... uh, improving your own business processes within the manufacturing setup to gain sustainability benefits. Thank you very much. Anything you want to say back to him? Yeah, of of course. And you're absolutely right, Sayan. I I love what what you just said. I I also see at the moment that especially the employees, the younger generation has a huge influence on this topic on companies who, who as, as a new like graduate from university who is who would love to work for a company that has a product in the portfolio that is not called green or sustainable at this point. So, of course, there are a lot of forces acting on the topic of sustainability, but that's where those companies are all in at the moment. They are tackled from all dimensions. That means they are forced to move faster and accelerate. 
Yep. Interesting. And if, if we take it to the, Lloyd, I'm going to get you a second. If we take it to the people level, the people who are, we used to say people in charge. Is that the board? Is that the C-suite? Is that the line managers? Is it the ground up, the groundswell of we need the company to be sustained? But is anybody sleeping anymore? Because you have to think about it. It's not just how do we keep production? It's how do we do it better? How do we do it differently? How do we do it sustainably? Because people are watching what we do now when they might not have before. How do we meet all these demands? It is is a challenge. Lloyd, agree or disagree with anything or everything we just said? Go ahead. I agree with what you just said. It's a challenge. Obviously, um, I think Thomas and, and Sian are both correct, but they're also talking about purposeful companies. And I think the reality is that quite a number of things come into it. For example, are they B2B or are they B2C primarily? Are their customers really focused on that space or not? What are the, what are the, you know, if they're selling B2B, what are they getting from the procurement offices on the customer side in terms of what's important? Is it cost or is it actual green? And when we talk about different elements of sustainability, as, as mentioned before with ESG, there's many factors. So most, what I'm seeing is most of the companies seem to be focusing on carbon footprint. So they're looking at how they can get green energy sources for their manufacturing instead of uh, fossil fuels, you know, electricity from coal fire, for example. So they're trying to transition to green energy. They're trying to transition to recycled or renewable materials as their inputs for their products. Um, and that's just part of it. Then we get into what we mentioned before about circular materials and then, of course, waste management, right? The ability to actually minimize waste and, and to potentially even use waste as a regenerative fuel. So there's so many aspects that are ill-formed. Um, that I, I think there will be actually a, in the next five years, not that many companies doing a great job of being truly sustainable in all aspects. I think they will find one or two highlight examples they can use to, I won't say greenwash, but certainly to, to you know, make prominent their, their efforts in that space. Um, and it may even be one or two projects in a very large portfolio. And I'm sure we can think of many global enterprises that have one or two green projects that they very uh, prominently highlight while 98% of their portfolio is still quite harmful. Very interesting. Well, look at the example I gave of Nestle's and Nespresso saying they reduced the carbon footprint of a cup of coffee. That was in 2009. And it's now the goal was 2020. 11 years it was being planned before we were talking about sustainability and circular economy in every conversation. So look at how long it takes. So that could be a Lloyd, maybe this is a look at us moment. Look at what we're doing moment. What do you think? Well, many companies, I mean, just take Nestle, right? They're doing huge things in their packaging space, right? Which is hard. Mm -hmm. And it yes. will have a massively important and, and powerful impact on environmental, environmental footprint because they're basically demanding the ability to access recycled plastic in order to use that in their packaging and to create that, make that as circular as possible. But that's still overall a tiny portion of their total environmental footprint, both in terms of materials consumption and carbon footprint. Um, that's not to say what they're doing isn't amazing. It's just yes. saying all of these companies, uh, hopefully, as Thomas uh, alluded to, have leaders who genuinely want to make a difference and are genuinely, genuinely willing to dive into all of their business processes to continually get better because it's very easy to do a couple of lighthouse projects and then make that what all the communication is about. Yes. And people, as you know, while they say they care, you know, let's take Walmart as an example. When people were caring about American-made products and not buying China, et cetera, 
Walmart offered their American suppliers 10% more for, in terms of pay for equivalent type products and sold them at the same price. So they, they you know, same, mar- same markup margin and people still bought what was cheapest, which was often what came from China, you know. So that was back with the American made and I see the environmental movement for a lot of consumers that aren't millennials the same. So we, we need to be careful about, you know, claiming it's a whole new world when I think, to me, COP26 sounded like a broken record repeat of the last 10 global environmental conferences we've had since the 90s. Interesting. And that's why I call it a look at us moment. Look at what we're doing. We have one thing to show you, perhaps. But maybe that's enough to start it. Thomas, what a conversation starter, Thomas Rand. Look what you caused. <laughs> look where we went. We don't usually go there on the show. Thomas, anything you want to say back to them before I introduce a topic from Cyan? Thomas? Yeah, maybe a final statement on this. If, if I typically look at companies that I have not seen any study about this, I, I typically see if, if they would divide 100% sustainability impact on the three dimensions I just gave, I would put like two-fifths to the suppliers, one-fifth for the own production, and two-fifths to the portfolio and the services. That means the better they look to the suppliers and the better they bring sustainable products or impact, uh, products impacting sustainability to the market, the better they will perform at the end. So my, my, my biggest fear is that companies are focusing way too much on their own manufacturing instead of enabling other companies to be much better and uh, using this as a multiplier. That may be one of the most important messages that comes out of our session today, I have a feeling, and that's a good one. Thank you very much, Thomas. And now let's go to Cyan Bose's statement number three. This looks like an interesting place to take the conversation. You say, differentiate through sustainable value of processes, products, and services. Products are being commoditized. This goes to something Lloyd was just talking about. Customers are prepared to pay a premium for differentiated services. This will support growth of revenue and margins. However, especially for services and outcome-based services, this new territory, pricing and measuring profitability over a life cycle versus a single sale requires a fundamental, and he put mind shift with a capital M because it's that important. So let's go to this mind shift. Cyan, you're up. No, thank you. So so let me first demystify the first topic of differentiated processes, products and services. As I mentioned uh, to Thomas also at the beginning, I'm a firm believer first, it has to start with sustainable products. So that's number one for me, coming from an engineering mindset, right? Industrial manufacturers, unless they create renewable in energy infrastructures and equipments which, can, which are recyclable, going back to Lloyd's comment of circular economy, right? So that's one. The second aspect to me is when these products are now offered, and I think both you gentlemen were mentioning, it's bundled together with a set of services. That's where we have seen they become commoditized. And now we need a little bit more mindset of these manufacturing companies instead of selling their equipments, putting together as a bundle services so that the equipment and the life cycle of the equipment can be retained. Plus, we can enhance the life period of those equipments, which means, again, helping circular economy, continuing the reusability of this equipment and assets. Last but not the least, from my standpoint, I completely agree with you, Thomas. I mean, when I mean by processes, my idea was processes about it's not just the processes within the four walls, 
bringing back the concepts of lean thinking. If you remember, lean was always about waste reduction. Bring the concepts of lean thinking, but not just within your four walls, but with your suppliers and suppliers and the ecosystem. Even extend it to your logistics partners because logistics contribute to 30% of the global carbon emissions. So that's the differentiation manufacturing companies have to look at, as you rightly also said, across the value chain with the partners. Thank you very Love much. Coming from others. Oh, we're going to get them. Lloyd, you're sitting virtually right next to Mr. Bose. So why don't you join us? What do you think? Agree or whatever you want to say? So I totally agree uh, with the concept. And, and if we're talking about the value chain, I think it is a big responsibility of the manufacturers to look at their suppliers. For example, um, they may, if they want to offer out, let's say it's an electric car out as a servitized car where you subscribe to the car, there's no reason they can't push their battery manufacturers, their battery supplier to supply those batteries on a similar performance contract to them. Why? So A, they can spread the cost just the way, the same way they're spreading the revenue, but also so that that battery, when it comes back to them, can go back to their supplier for the appropriate treatment with the right expert. So that's, there's a whole bunch of discussions to have around that space. What I wanted to touch on to expand on Cyan was to say, the reason servitization is important as a business model is because if you want to motivate a manufacturer to make a better product that lasts longer, that is easier to install, maintain, remove, refurbish, remanufacture and recycle, they will only be motivated to do that if they retain ownership of that product all the way through the value chain. If they sell the product to someone else, they lose the ability to continue benefiting from the value chain. So they're not motivated to do that. So that's why servitization is such an important model for product life extension and for the ability to, to design a product that, uh, that will last longer and be easier to refurbish, remanufacture and recycle. I guess I, I don't want to dump SAP in it, but as you know, the lead vendor for manufacturers in this space, to, in order to enable the circular economy, we're obviously going to need to help them develop technologies where they can simulate what they expect to have as revenues across multiple customer life cycles to simulate not only the carbon footprint of the manufacturing of the product, but also the servicing costs and the servicing footprints across those multiple life cycles, and even how much of the product will be recycled back into a reverse supply chain with an inner circular loop so that those materials are coming back into their supply chain. And we can think of whether that's gold or aluminium or other highly recyclable, valuable products. If we're talking about industrial machinery that I'm renting out for 10 or 15 years across multiple customers, but I've designed it in a way that it's very easy to proactively disassemble and recycle, then I'm also thinking realistically, aluminium and gold and other valuable materials like that will be worth more in 15 years than they were when I bought them today, right? So there's, there's a whole lot of value to consider when we simulate how much we can offer out these products for as a revenue because we need to make a profit, but we also need to be competitive, right? So you can't, anyone can offer a product out on subscription, but to offer a competitive price and make a profit, that's where it really comes in with the technology, being able to simulate your revenues and your costs and do it well, and obviously then manage the materials well in terms of the actual physical uh, treatment of those materials across the full life cycle. And Thank you, Lloyd. If I make a, yeah, I make a comment, no, so actually Lloyd, you, you said a very interesting thing because I look at it for the manufacturing companies, it's like moving to a model of profit by hour. Sure. Right? Where And that way you connect more with their, their customers and ensure that the product's performance and all of this is exactly on the life, entire life cycle of the product. 
right? So, yep. I mean, basically, it comes it comes down to, to me, Bonnie, this topic in a way for manufacturers comes down to their responsibility of improving um, performance per yep. performance per raw material unit. So by that I mean um, less. How many virgin raw materials? was required to create the performance, what's the carbon put, footprint per performance unit and what's the end waste per performance unit. So if you can provide a million performance units of a certain machine, your, your goal state from an ESG perspective, if we're putting aside, you know, uh, ethical uh, human treatment, mm -hmm. just the, can we reduce the virgin materials, the carbon footprint and the end waste per performance unit? That's, that's a, a thinking to have across a, a, a materials life cycle. Thank you. Life used to be so simple back then. And look at what they need to think about, <laughs> contend with, plan for, execute, implement, and take the hit if they don't today. Thomas, you're sitting in the third position on this one because this was science starter. So, Thomas, join us. Agree or disagree? Go ahead. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and Bonnie, you made such an important comment, uh, summarizing quickly, because a lot of clients are asking me, Hey, why, Thomas, why does sustainability act complexity to our business? And it really does. It, it adds a lot of complexity to the business because suddenly companies need to think their product and services 360 degrees. They think in product bundles. They think in how do I price a product consisting out of financing the hardware, the software, the life cycle, the raw material, the, the impact on, on the supply chain, the impact on how to reuse old machinery, how to get the data out of it, and so on. And this this 360 degrees perspective adds so much complexity that a lot of companies need to rethink their overall portfolio much more to as a service or as a power by an hour or whatever kind of uh, kind of measurement at this point. And this is very difficult even to sell to customers because very often you are a front runner in selling a new product that you have designed by yourself as a company, looking at the value of customers, of course, but pricing this differently, bringing it differently into the supply chain, having maybe different logistics standards to deliver things like this. And this adds complexity. So company need to accept the more sustainable they will get, the more complexity they need to adopt in their portfolio. Thank you very much. And thank you for saying I said something good. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I try to listen and summarize as we're going along. Cyan, this was your topic. What do you think? Interesting comments around the table. Look what you started. No, I, I love the comments. I mean, and I like the perspective Lloyd is also bringing. I mean, the circular economy and that leading to a service-oriented business model is amazing. Thanks, Lloyd, for that. That's a good one. Definitely. Good. I'm glad. Now, Lloyd, let's go to you. And speaking of what Cyan just said, let's go to your statement number three, which is a little different, but I know it will keep, it's on the topic, it will keep our listeners engaged. So Lloyd's going to talk about repairability laws. He said, repairability laws requiring manufacturers, listen up, to use standardized parts, I'm going to say, oh my, and provide repair schematics publicly, oh my, twice, present an underappreciated risk to manufacturer profitability. I'm going to stop there and let you expand this for us, Lloyd. Very interesting. Go ahead. Yeah, I think it's just an important thing to understand that there's a lot of noise in the marketplace, obviously legislation coming in Europe and other places uh, already in France, there's for lawnmowers and other, other electronic equipment. 
this notion of repairability laws and and sort of a um, let's say governments legislating that products need to be publicly available for repair so both the repair schematics and also available parts affordable parts so that sort of not just a drive to the company making available spare parts but almost a drive towards using standardized parts and the classic would be apple using the funky screws they used to use for their phones that couldn't be opened and and needing to use normal screws for example Um, the interesting thing here is that if companies like an Apple or a Samsung or whoever were forced to produce products that use standardized parts and forced to share the repair schematics and forced by legislation as well, which is also going to happen, that their software can't outdate their hardware. In other words, it's back compatible. What's going to happen is that's going to be completely ruin the profitability of those businesses. There's already, for example, a company in Europe called Back Market, which takes secondhand electronics, refurbishes them, and then resells them as green electronics. And if this movement expands, then it will definitely uh, hinder the ability of manufacturers to to make predictable profits into into the future when we're considering sustainability. So... um, because they won't be able to charge excessively more for their products just because they're sustainable or they last longer. So that's again where servitization comes in because if our manufacturers don't sell their products and indeed just sell the performance and retain the ownership, then they're not exposed to these repairability laws. And that's another, I think it's important for innovation. It's important for our industries that are creating these innovations that they are able to um, benefit from the full value life cycle that they deliver but they won't be able to do that if they sell their products to the first consumer and then that consumer can sell it on and sell it on and there's all these uh, third-party repair markets. Um, I think that that our manufacturers are going to run into a lot of um, profitability pressure. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. Thomas, you're sitting next to Lloyd right now. Go ahead. What do you think? I, I absolutely agree with what you said, Lloyd. Um, if if we if you're asking companies or they are forced to or they do it by themselves to, to be on a, on a on a much more green way on a sustainability way, I, I would call it. They need to be sure that at the end they can finance this path. Um, finance to finance this path it means that of course they need to find business models that allow them to further invest and of course to sell and also to have some kind of predictability into the cash flows they, they can achieve at this point. So um, I, I think it's it's impossible to have everything we want to have at the same time. We, we cannot be fully sustainable in all dimensions on the one side. On the other side, um, uh, asking companies to really take the investments to move into this sustainability direction. And and that's what we have to consider. So there will be a balance um, for many companies uh, at this point, and they need to be fully aware of this balance and need to take the right decisions. And and that's for me quite clear. And the example, the great example you gave, Lloyd, is is absolutely valid um, to really make companies aware that at some point in time they need to make decisions on how they survive and how they can continue in their life cycle. Thank mm. you, Thomas. Let's go to Sai and see what you have to say. So, so Lloyd, I 
do understand where you're coming from when it comes to usage and when it comes to adding paths which are easily serviceable. That's absolutely fair. But where I disagree or I have a different opinion out here is when I look at complex manufacturing companies, for example, take Kronos, the big bottling manufacturers. They're in Europe. Every second bottle manufactured is from a Kronos machine, a highly complex machine. If those kind of companies are looking at sustainable products and products which are, of course, made with standard parts and components, but also with parts which they can service. And then when the life of the product is coming to an end, when the packaging line is coming to an end, take back the product, refurbish it, and then again, sell it out in the market. That's what I would put it this way as an approach towards a sustainable business practice. Unlike the other topic where you brought out, where I feel it's not necessary, in my opinion, that the manufacturing companies need to say how every nuts and screws should be done, right? So that's my first comment. The second comment would be, if I look at companies in large semiconductor equipment manufacturers, right? They make all kinds of machinery, which goes into making semiconductor chips. Refurbishments is a big business model where they sell these big expensive equipments, bring it back, refurbish it again, sell it. And they again have another 10 to 15 years of a shelf life. So that is something in my mind, a more sustainable business practice and a process. Comments, Lloyd? Yeah, so that obviously works better under sustainability model, right? So you've got for, for, for any sort of circular business model like that, where you're taking assets back and refurbishing them, you're either looking at buybacks. So yep. generally that occurs where uh, I sell my asset and then what I do is I offer the customer a big discount on the new model, right? Basically, a certain amount of, of my company's dollars in order to get a discount. And then I take back, as you say, the existing asset, I refurbish it and I put it back out probably to a lower tier customer or maybe to the same. But but the reality is that whether you're doing buybacks, leasing or servitization, that's one model where you're taking it back yourself. What I'm talking about is the other market where if the... the um, the repair schematics are forced to be made public. And if the parts are forced to be made publicly available, which you know is perfectly plausible, then you're open yourself up to a third party repair market that keeps a lot of customers that could upgrade, as you say, they could upgrade, but it would take significant g- discounts to get them to upgrade because the cost of having it repaired and continuing to use the existing machine is lower, right? All I'm saying is that for, for companies that are talking about becoming sustainable, for them to design a better product that lasts longer, that is designed indeed for ease of repair, extension yep. of life, refurbishment and so on, they're much better off having a servitization model where either they're putting it out of subscription or leasing it so that they're guaranteed to get that asset back and therefore they can ensure that the... Um, the materials are optimally treated through their life cycle. Now, of course, they can do that in various ways with their customer. The customer can do self-repair under contract. The customer can have third-party approved servicing uh, contractors that that work with the manufacturer in terms of providing those services in different geographies. But the whole idea is, is this will be maximized if the manufacturer or the asset manager knows that that asset indeed will come back to them for the appropriate refurbishment. And I, I just want to touch on, Bonnie, you know, you talked about recycling stuff from your mother's home, but the reality is less than 9% of materials are recycled globally. Hmm. It is also much better under a servitization model, for example, because what you're doing is you're streamlining 
how materials come back to centralized points for refurbishment. Whereas if you're talking about B2C businesses where you're manufacturing for consumers and you've got hundreds of thousands or millions of units out in the market, getting those units back for the appropriate refurbishment is much, much harder and bound to be less efficient than a servitization or a leasing model. Thank you very much. Lloyd, what an interesting concept. What an interesting starter you had. I would like to squeeze in one more topic here. I've been debating with Thomas in the chat where to go next. But Thomas, I think I'm going to go to statement number four. This looks interesting. You say industrial companies need to get started on their digital transformation journeys. And I'm going to say now, what? You mean there's somebody out there who hasn't started on their... We've been talking about this on this show for five years. All right, already. You say you now... If you All right, let me start again. Industrial companies need to get started on their digital transformation journey now to achieve net zero, starting with tracking, measuring, and having end-to-end visibility, Cyan is nodding, of energy consumption across facilities, across plants, across equipment. If you can't measure it, I think this is an old Einstein quote that he never said, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. Thomas, we have six minutes left. Let's see if we can quickly get some comments around the table. Thomas, unpack this two minutes and then a quick comment from Cyan and Boyce. Go ahead. And- yeah, I'm happy to unpack and I, I, I really try to connect it with what Lloyd just said on, 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 on this topic. You know, you know, Lloyd, um, I, I believe that all companies, they, they measure the equipment um, and the use of equipment and how, how profitable the equipment is and whether it makes sense to refurbish or servitize or whatever or to bring it back into the, to the value chain. I think all companies do this. And my, my statement would be that, of course, they, they, they do the service as long as they can, uh, as long as it's better to buy a new machine. And, and that's quite clear. What, what we shouldn't take away from those companies is to take away the service, because if we take away the service, then they don't have the ability to cover the whole life cycle. And that's a must. More and more I see that to be sustainable, you need to be able to cover the full life cycles as a company and make sure that you are allowed to cover it and partly nobody else can do it to have a sustainable business model. And this is something, and here we are back to what you just said, Bonnie, and the statement I made. You need to measure this. You need to measure energy consumption. You need to measure all the other things and have the transparency on the value the equipment still brings out there for your customer and what it would mean to bring it back into the life cycle at at the end. And that's something you need to do. So for me, overall, sustainability is a big uh, measurement topic within your factory, looking at your supplier base, but also and especially looking at the product and the new product bundle and what SAP, of course, is doing with with S4 and all those those great tools, software, ERP systems, and so on, is really setting the basis for data to make this possible and feasible at this point. And this is where I think the competencies of the different companies came in and where we jointly can help our clients to really make their sustainability movement much more transparent and target-oriented. Thank you. I have a question for all of you because we're almost out of time. My question is, we keep saying you. You need to. They need to. Whose job is it? Are we talking the CFO? Are we talking about the CMO? Are we talking about the CTO, the CIO, the CXO, the CEO? Who is the one who's staying up at night saying, dang, Thomas Rin was right. We got to start measuring this. It's my job. Whose job? Let's just quickly, we got uh, three minutes left. Whose job is it? Quickly, let's go around the table. Thomas, you, and then, oh, Lloyd wants to start this one. Lloyd, you raise your hand first. Go ahead. Whose job is it? 
It's everybody, right? So I would encourage uh, uh, any manufacturing customer out there listening to, to talk to the Thomases of the world, whether it's the Accentures or the McKinsey's or whoever, um, every single C, C level, whether it's procurement on the supply side or the revenue side, every C level needs to be thinking about the sustainability KPIs they can impact and companies like Thomas's can help them map those KPIs for each of those uh, roles inside the enterprise. And I think it's very important that those leaders inside that enterprise understand how they can personally impact sustainability and the kind of KPIs they can measure and improve over time. So, I, I went to the letters of the alphabet. I forgot CPO, Chief Procurement right. Officer. Go, you, you all got so, that one. Cyan, go ahead. One minute. Go ahead. So my comment would be, of course, the CXOs are responsible, but I also look at the person, the shop floor manager, the warehouse managers. They also play a role in terms of ensuring sustainable practices and measures. So what if you have defined a warehouse put-away process but you can also analyze how much carbon it is consuming or emitting. That kind of an ability and power to the people at the shop floor, at the job shops, along with your manufacturing, your sales officers, et cetera, will drive end-to-end sustainability practices within the company. That's so my if, view. No. If we do a part two of this, it'll be called whose job is it anyway? Or Could who's be. who's supposed to be staying up at night worrying about this? Manufacturing, <laughs> sustainability. Thomas, since it was yours, I'm going to give you one minute to talk back to them. Or what do you think? Whose job is it? And then we have to wrap up. Go ahead, Thomas. You know, I think one of the best things of sustainability as a side effect is that people will use data much better and are much more dependent on data. So sustainability kicks into the make data usable um, way of uh, approaching companies a lot. And this will help, as, as Lloyd has said, all the functions depending on, 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 on the targets on the impact they, they can generate at this point. So for me, actually, Data and sustainability at this point comes very well together. KPIs come together. And of course, depending on the function you are in at, a, at, at one of our clients or at your company, it will help you become better if you use this data. Because first of all, you look at it, point one, point two, then you analyze and point three, three then you think about optimization. And that's exactly what you need to do. Thank you. Gentlemen, Lloyd, you get one sentence. That's it. I'm out of time. Go ahead. One sentence, Lloyd. Um, I was just going to say, don't be afraid to have the conversations inside your building with the enthusiasm that will be there for the topic. And don't be afraid to talk to experts to bounce those ideas around because um, there's so much opportunity in this space. It, it, more than anything, it just takes a willingness to, to have those conversations. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, this has been lively. It's been provocative. It's been thought-provoking. I am so grateful to the three of you for bringing your A-game, obviously, to this show. I know our listeners on the Business Channel will appreciate this. Special shout-out to Judy Kubis at SAP for sponsoring this series. Judy, I think we know what your first show of 2022. We have to get these three gentlemen back, and we have to do part two. Whose job is it anyway? Sustainability. Lloyd, you got to smile on that one. So here's my closing call to action, and thank you to Aaron Keller, our engineer at Voice America Radio. Uh, here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. I don't know. We need designer seatbelts. Maybe we need sustainable seatbelts. I don't even know what it's made of. Maybe it's made of milk cartons anymore. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Thomas Rin at Accenture. I know you have to run. Just like Cyan Bose at SAP. Just like Lloyd O'Donnell at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another one. But every Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern, we're here with another SAP Game Changers radio show. 
get them all. <laughs> Collect the series. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Mobility and Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.